look for your friends. All that to say, I was worried about my friends. I was worried about the storm last night. We didn't have power. I was worried about sleep. I was worried about how this would go. I was worried about being on time. I was worried about all these different things, and then I, I knew what I was preaching on, and I come, and I see uh, the title of my sermon, <laughs> How Shall We Be Worried? And um, we'll go ahead and just look at this passage, but I want us to think about this. Um, the, sometimes I think about it in this way, the extent of God's care is over here, and I'm worried is way over here. Okay, so today we're going to consider how they actually, they do go together. The extent of God's care and worry that they actually do, again, um, go together. So Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Okay, he says this to the disciples. O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and you, Father, know, you, your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So there's a lot there, so let me pray before we consider this passage. Father, we thank you um, for this time together, and I must confess this morning that I am historically and typically a worried individual. But I would pray that you would continue um, to work in each of our lives who would say that that is part of, of their story and disposition and personality and a, and a part of them, um, like myself, that I do not like. But Father, I would just pray that you would encourage us with your word um, this morning about, about this topic of, of fear and worry and concern. In your name we pray. Amen. During one episode of Sesame Street, you know, you have the, the Muffets to me that are pretty, like, erratic. They're kind of dancing around and bouncing around, and they're colorful, and any moment they can turn whatever um, is happening kind of on Sesame Street into a song. Well, in one episode, there's a child that is in the doctor's office, and based on this experience, the, the child has this moment based on being a child in the doctor's office, and this is the experience of kind of apprehension. Do we really have to go? Concern. What's it going to be like and what's going to happen? Fear and worry and anxiety, and those words will come up more, and I'll define those in a second. 
But instead of kind of the Muppets, you know, I'm tempted to sing the songs and dance around what you don't want me to do. But, you know, they, they have this moment where kind of the music fades and they're not jumping around and being erratic, but they get really close to the child because they want to express in words what the child is feeling based on this experience of being in the doctor's office and there's the potential of a shot And here's how they describe that moment, trying to name it for the child. You know those moments, and think about your moments. You know those moments when your stomach drops and you want to run. Do you know um, those moments? Do you know those moments? So if we have the Sesame Street trying to name it for children, I mentioned the same um, artist last time, Jason Isbell. I apologize. I, I love him. He came to Chattanooga. really enjoyed it. That's an aside. In one of his songs, um, here's how an adult would name anxiety and worry. He names it this way. The actual song is entitled Anxiety. And this is what he has to say in the song. Um, How do you always get the best of me? Now, I'm not going to use his language, but he says that I can't enjoy anything. So you get the best of me. I can't enjoy anything. In other words, you, you hijacked my life. You took over. I feel paralyzed to do whatever, whatever it is. Anxiety, and has a couple more things to say about it. Why am I never where I'm supposed to be? I'm a lucky man today, but so afraid that time will take it all from me. So what I have today, will it be what I have tomorrow? A few more lines. Crowded room, so the the social component of anxiety, a crowded room, but looking for the exit. Wide awake, but I'm in pain. And then I'll read through these quickly. It's the weight of the world, but it's nothing at all. So why does this small thing seem like such a big deal? It seems cosmic in its scope. Light as a prayer and then I feel myself fall. you got to give me a minute because I'm way down in it, and I can't breathe, so I can't speak. I want to be strong and steady, always ready. Now I feel so small. I feel so weak. You're like, dude, you're intense. Jason is bull's intense. Okay, but about this topic of, again, our children, we're trying to name it for our children, and now we have this this artist and poet to me, naming what it's like, that, that experience. And then a few um, just kind of definitions, and then we'll look at this passage. So according to, um, or some examples in the passage, but according to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety is the most common mental health disorder impacting one out of three adolescents and adults. Philip Kendall from the Anxiety Disorder Clinic in Philadelphia explains that everyone has it to some degree. So that means it impacts all of us. And the specific demographic um, that I kind of minister to um, day after day, according to the New York Times, so you can guess from the title, Anxious Students Strain College Mental Health Centers. In other words, there's no room for those who are struggling with anxiety and depression. And with all that being said, just one um, definition. And 
again, I'm, I'm hoping I feel the weight and I'm trying to push the weight onto you because there actually is relief. Defined in this way, one of many definitions, overestimation of danger and underestimate how to cope. So what could happen and do I have the resources to handle it? And that's not only future tense. It was not future tense to me yesterday. It's present and it's future. And then, lo and behold, in this passage, we have disciples. Okay, let's go like very basic kind of, we'll go very basic and not saying that this is connected with VBS. But let's go, so who are the disciples? We would ask our children, who are the disciples? And they would say a variety of different things, but those who are kind of relationally close with Jesus, those who know Jesus publicly and privately, those who heard the Sermon on the Mount and they got to talk to him afterwards, those who saw him reach out and heal people who had gone to everybody and anybody, exhausted all resources, and they were healed and they got to hang out with Jesus that night and have a meal. Those relationally close proximity to Jesus the disciples, and they're worried. In other words, those who um, choose to go to church on a Sunday instead of eating brunch at Bitter Alibi. Those who would say close proximity of Jesus, like we pray before our meals. Like however you want to kind of define in close proximity of Jesus. And anxious? So let's look um, at this passage and consider this passage because here's the good news. God is interested in your life and our lives. God does care. God does know. God does love. All those things are true and part of our experience. And what we find in this passage with those things being true of his care and his concern and his interest and the extent of his love also connects with these two points. And here's the two points, so we're not going to get to everything in the passage. I'm always worried about talking too much. I already feel like I'm talking too much. So we'll look at these two points, okay? What God values and what you need. So what God values, and we'll be going um, towards verse 24, and what you need, we'll be going towards um, verse 30 through 32. So what you need. So Jesus is addressing these individuals who had been considered working class. So I come from a long line of of working class moms and dads that have children, so so they're parents. Um, And in this working class, it is the, the image that maybe you have of the farmer who we would literally, with our grandfather, put out the seeds and hope that it would rain and pray for sunshine and all these, need, these things you need to see a crop. And then you would see, finally, the day would come and you would see something that's green. And you go in excitement to look at this crop only to find that it's a weed. Okay, so the, these individuals are farming, but farming does not mean a crop. For those of you who have ever, again, a lot of things that I did with my, my grandparents and now trying to introduce with my own children of going to get fishing poles, even though I said they were five, three, and one, way too young for this. But anyway, there's nothing like a hook in the hand. Um, 
But fishing, we would all say fishing does not mean catching. Some of you women in the room have been very frustrated with your husbands that he has been fishing all day and there's no fish. So we have farmers, they're fishing, they're working class, they're hoping that the land will provide not only for them but some kind of income for their family. And what if it doesn't? And what if you're not sure that you can cover the bill? And we have them, and all that to say that there are real reasons that they are worried. Because if you look at this passage, it's about food and it's about clothes. And they're real um, tangible needs, and, and Jesus knows that, and he gives the example of the crow. So I'll talk some about the crow and going back to the whole idea of fishing, but like, so I grew up, in case you're wondering, <laughs> maybe two of you are, uh, so Northeast Mississippi, that's home for me. Um, so not overly familiar with the crow. I, I mean, obviously they're in Mississippi, but very familiar with the catfish. The bottom dweller will eat anything. In other words, you can open up its stomach and you're not sure what you're going to find. The catfish and the crow, very similar. The crow, the raven, they would have been unfamiliar with this, will, will eat anything anything. And the example that they would have, they would have, it wasn't, oh, what is a crow? Very familiar with the crow. And he's saying to this audience, you know that crow that you never think about? God thinks about the crow. Created, sustains, provides, feeds. The crow. The catfish, the bottom dweller, that open up its stomach, you're not sure what you're going to find. He said that the one that you consider insignificant, the one you do not see, and it's going, this small thing, how much more valuable are you? That's the point. You are more valuable than the crow. That in this passage we find out that God created, provides for, sustains, meets the crow's needs. And you're supposed to hear the crow and constantly be reminded of the faithfulness of God. And you are more valued than the crow. Every bite of food, the faithfulness of God. Each and every bite, his faithfulness. And I'll um, use this illustration because they are anxious about this tangible thing that is, is real. And if you want to... Talk to, you can talk to Dan about this because I've been wondering it a lot. Um, we are at, in the Lord's Prayer, we ask for our daily bread. And part of this issue is they're thinking about this too much because he's going to get back to seeking the kingdom. And again, they're not separate. We're combining them together. But let me use an illustration um, first. So this is all because of Dan. Uh, I was telling him part of my, my story and encouraged me to listen to a pastor um, and part of this pastor's example. So part of my story, I felt called to preach Scripture, as I hopefully am doing now. Um, I felt called to God's church, and I felt called to students. So those who felt called to do that, and then I find myself being a very anxious presence anytime I'm sitting across from somebody else. 
In other words, I'm afraid of people and feeling that God is calling me to ministry to sit across from people who are hurting and as they talk, it makes me, as they talk, it makes me uncomfortable. And I'm like, like, God, what are you doing? Did you go on vacation? You know, during this time of seminary. Like, what, what are you doing? Um, but part of this kind of formative years of being in St. Louis is not only meeting my wife who knows everything about me, and that was before we got married, and then she said she would marry me. Like, that'll mess you up if she knows a lot of broken stuff about you and still wants to marry you in a very good way. So I had my wife, and I had this individual named Michael Coggin. And it, so he knows, okay, everything, everything about me, it was, I would say, for a couple of years, or for at least a year, probably 90% of the bad, and then we eventually got to 10% of the good. And, like, I don't know if you've ever want to, like, we'll just name what he does. He's a counselor. I don't know if you've ever wanted to, like, fight with your counselor. Like, literally fist fight. Okay, again, from the state of Mississippi, let's go outside and handle this, okay? I'm learning from my past. You shouldn't do that. But, okay, and this is what I mean by that. Um, And tying it back to this point of what God values. Did you know every time I would see him, and this was weekly for almost two years, um, did you know he would say, Jamark, it's good to see you? knows everything. And he would end each time we meet, and he would say, Joe Mark, like, it was good to be with you. Can I pray? And you know why he said that? Because he knew that I didn't believe it. He knew that I wasn't convinced anybody I was sitting across actually wanted to be at the table with me. He could smell it. He could sense it. He could hear it in my tone. He's just a man who's in his mid-30s. What about the God of the universe saying, it's good to see you. It is good to be with you. Like, I value you. I want to be with you. I want to be next with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be in you. You matter. This is what God values, and before I just completely lose it, before we get to the second point, let's go to the second point. What we truly um, need, and I already somewhat emphasized this in verse 28, um, where he's already, and let me back up um, quickly, but this is what he has said to his disciples already. Do not worry, do not be afraid, sorry, it's do not worry, do not seek, do not worry and do not be afraid. Do not worry, do not seek, do not worry, do not be afraid. Addressing this to the disciples, not only do we have that, we have this moment where Jesus says, O oh, you of little faith. What I do, not only um, kind of, I'll have these, co- this is going to sound really weird how to reword that. Sometimes I imagine I'm sitting across from Jesus and we're having coffee. Okay, I know that's weird, like, don't bring me up on charges, so just wait for just a minute, okay? So I imagine I'm sitting across from Jesus, and maybe you have kind of these scenarios where where you're sitting across from him, and he says something like this. Oh, you of little faith. I'd say, Jesus, what are you talking about? I'm an ordained minister in my early 30s. 
I'm a campus minister at RUF and have been for four years. Like, you can go through this list and you have a list. Like, my mom and dad are blank. I come from this heritage. I come from this tradition. You can, you can build the list very quickly. What do you mean, you of little faith? And does he mean the absence of faith? Does he mean the absence of faith? And let me just, before I answer that, let me describe it this way. So I have a car. I drove here um, in a car. If you live in Chattanooga, you need a, like, people kind of drive to get everywhere. You need a car, hopefully a means of transportation. So I have a car and my love and hate relationship of a 2002 Honda Accord is when that check engine light begins to glow. Come from a history of mechanics. When I pop my hood, I can't figure out where the latch is and worry that I'm going to like lose a finger. So some of you have been there. And then you open it and you're just like, you check the oil here. But then I start like clearing the leaves out. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, okay? So... Um, but the, my point is this, is like even with faith, so I have it, and the check engine light is glowing. And what I mean by that is faith is not absent. In these areas of anxiousness and worry and frustration and concern, it's lacking. Let me give some examples. So this is not original to me. I hope that you have heard this before. So I, I um, again, college students, we take out a napkin and we start drawing their spinning plates. So if you've been disengaged, I hope this brings you back in. So if you're a student, you can even do this this afternoon for about 10 minutes. Anybody can do it. going to um, address the students quickly. So draw your plates when you're in school. When you, when you start class and they pass out like a sheet of paper of what's required of you that semester, and you're just like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Or that was just me. I can't breathe. Um, I think I just blacked out and hit my desk. Am I breathing hard? You know, th those kind of feelings of what all is expected of you. But start drawing those plates close. For most students at UTC, there's at least five. So they draw the plates. And I was like, okay, out of these plates, which one's a big plate? Like, this class really matters. Like, you have to make this grade in this class, or you don't get into the nursing program. So then a big plate is drawn, and then, okay, I play racquetball. That's one credit hour. Let's make that a small plate. Like, you just need to be there, and you can't miss three times. So all of a sudden, they have um, these plates, and you have these plates. Let's, t let's think through now personal relationships. Okay, you have your close friends and your true friends. You have people you work with or just people in the community. You have an acquaintance. You have those people that you're skeptical of. Like, you can do the category, broad category with these spinning plates um, with just personal relationships. So let's just go ahead and draw those on the napkins, too. And now you're getting, like, three or four different napkins out, and you're drawing these spinning plates, okay? Work, um, your tasks, the people, your boss, your peers, those um, plates are spinning. Your family... It's not just the, and I tell her, it's not just the family place. Like, what's your relationship with mom and what's your relationship with dad? And then, so the family plates start breaking off. Okay, you haven't talked to the siblings in a couple of years. Let's make that, like, plate kind of big. Because regardless if you want to acknowledge or not, that plate's big and that's out there and it's spinning. And then your community, your, your church, and those are just the plates. And what happens with the plate when it begins to rob, um, wobble? Because there's like a relational fallout. So I didn't sleep 
much last night, so that means like I'm t- <laughs> I'll probably cry on the spot, and if I don't do it here, I'll probably do it in my car, and then I'll feel better that I didn't do it in front of y'all. <laughs> and then you have just like um, like my my dad has been sick his entire life, and then you have somebody a plate that's sick, and for some of you, they're really sick. And man, by being present with my dad, I can't be present with anybody else. And that plate's up there, and that's spinning, and all that to say, with, with these life demands and being called a view of little faith, what happens is we start taking confidence in ourselves and trying to take our own control And then not only are the um, plates spinning, they start falling. And in that moment, God is disrupting where your confidence really is and where your control really is. Because what we think we want is actually confidence in ourselves and control. But God knows in this passage that's not actually what we need. And this is what we truly need, and I'll close with this. What we truly need is faith with all the plates in life's demand. What we truly need is to know that it's a God that is involved in them. What we truly need to know is that we actually can have confidence in Him. What we truly need to know is that we can find dependence on Him. And that doesn't mean that the the plates stop spinning. But, but part of this, in this passage, I think that what Jesus is doing is, disciples, your issue is you don't have a very personal God. Final points of application. This is heavy in application. Final points of application is what we truly need is a personal creator. And I began there with the, the value of, like before your mom and dad thought of you, God did. He created and sustains and provides and shows up. What we learn if you're valued, that he's interested and you matter. Some of you this morning really need to hear this. That means that you are not trash and you are not nobody. You are not the puppy that nobody wants to adopt at the Humane Society. You are not the clothes that you take to goodwill and they won't even accept them. He created you and he values you. We have a father. So this language, again, I'm running out of time. Look back over the the, um, past kind of verses 29 through 32. We have this this father. It comes up multiple times. and, And what that means is, if this is correct, that we truly need a personal creator. We truly need a personal father. What does it mean to have God as your father? means that through his son, so Jesus was excluded so you could be included. And what that means with a, a personal father is that you are safe, relationally safe, and secure with God because of his son. Like what if that was not just some theory, but actually we were able to implement that in our practice? Like, I, yeah, personally and privately just went through and coming out of a terrible season. And my prayer every morning was, God, would you father me today, like this hour, this morning? 
I need you as my father. Shepherd, um, quickly, he provides and protects. He knows the flock. He knows the sheep. Oh, you um, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock does not mean there's only, um, like, there's a lot of sheep and they're small in statue, or stature. stature. That's the word. But it means that, that he knows them well. Little flock means I know your disposition. I know your personality. I know your triggers when you're afraid. I know all those different things, and I still want to be your shepherd, and I still want you to be part of my flock. The shepherd, and finally, the king. Personal God is creator, father, shepherd, and king. What that means is the king of this Bible is both generous and trustworthy. The king of this Bible owns all of you. And the king of this Bible requires all of you. He even requires those places where this morning you're worried and you're afraid and you're concerned and you're not sure of outcomes and you're not sure about that relationship and you're not sure how this is going to end. The king requires all of you, and what he did in my own life yesterday and what he has done most of my life is he will disrupt those places where I have too much confidence in myself and too much control. And thank God for us, what he values and what we need. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again um, for this time together. Father, with this topic that is heavy and sensitive, I would pray that we would continue um, to seek your word and how you continue to apply it to our lives. Our creator and father and shepherd and king, I would also pray that this would not just be a Sunday morning of theory, but actually... Um, you would make this true and real by the Holy Spirit and that we could put this into practice. That we actually have access to you and you care about us. And not only do you care about us because we are valued, we know that we are included so we can include others. In this message of hope and relief, in your name we pray, amen. Let us stand and sing in celebration of his word, hymn number 559, Father, I Know That All My Life, number 559. Portioned out for me, the
to blend with us. 